Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and a rich mountain culture that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smokies for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in mountain culture. Now, this episode is entitled Ecotourism and Safe Passages for Wildlife in the Smokies, but it's really about journeys. Journeys to help conservation efforts, the journeys through life that lead to transitions, and journeys that wildlife have to make to ensure their species survival. You know that journeys are something that I talk about every day. My profession has been marketing, and in that we always talk about the customer journey, the path they follow, and the transitions they make to become paying customers. Now, this is not a profound journey, but it illustrates that even the smallest parts of our lives, we are on journeys. The profound journeys create transitions that can be life-changing and even world-changing. We're going to talk some about death. I know this is not expected, but when you travel and celebrate life, you're also preparing for a good death without regrets. At my family place that I now own, the Metal Ark Motel, there was an old couple who'd been coming there for years. And they called one day and talked to my parents and honestly told them that the woman was dying and wanted to come stay in a cabin and die by the river and the sights of the mountains that had brought such joy her whole life. And she did. They let her come. And she eventually died in peace in the cabin. And it was as much as a, as a, of a celebration as it was an occasion for sorrow. And this is one of the reasons I bought the motel for my parents three years ago, because the, the profound meaning I found in hospitality that creates memorable moments in people's lives and their journeys, and that make those journeys more beautiful and hopefully without regrets. Some of you know that in 2014, my wife of 20 years died of rare cancer, and I was her caregiver for two years. My guest today has a book on life's lessons learned from helping her mother die. And in it, she writes about the hero's journey by Joseph Campbell, how facing obstacles and fighting dragons leads to transformation. At first, her mother's death seemed to her to be the end of the journey until she went through her grief and realized her mother was still on a journey. For me, this brought back memories because I attended a workshop after my wife's death in the mountains called the hero's journey by Joseph, the Joseph Campbell Foundation. There, they, they led me through an exercise where I had to write on a gravestone something that I needed to see buried. Now, having just buried my wife, this was something of a challenge for me. But through some deep reflection, I wrote on the gravestone, Mr. and Mrs. Joseph McElroy, and laid it down in a ceremony on the mountainside and had my transformational moment. Because I realized that I was still thinking of myself as Mr. and Mrs. Joseph McElroy. And I realized that identity no longer existed. I was grieving as much 
for her as uh, for my my identity as a, as I was for my late wife and I didn't need to grieve for that identity I needed to process the grief for my late wife and that I was no longer Mr and Mrs Joseph McElroy I had to proceed as Joseph I had to reinvent a new life now I still remember today that life and wife but I am married again I have given life to twins who are two years old, and I've recovered and refurbished my family's homestead. So I started a brand new journey through that transition. So this episode is not about me, it's about journeys. And we're also gonna be considering the life and death journeys that wildlife has to make because of human civilization and how we can make those journeys safer and life more fulfilling, how we can do conservation efforts and with ecotourism and things like that. So to help us explore this, I invited my guest, Francis Feigart, who directs the Creative Service Department at the Great Smoky Mountains Associations and edits the fabulous Smokey's Life magazine. It's one of the most beautiful magazines I've ever seen. She is a Thomas Wolfe Memorial Literary Award winner. She has edited several magazines. She has led marketing for ecotour operators in Canada and Costa Rica. She's the author of several books, including The Seasons of Letting Go, which is the book I just referenced, and has a new children's book, A Search for Safe Passage, which was just published by the Great Smoky Mountains Associations. And it follows a group of animal friends in a Smoky Mountains gorge, banding together to find a safe way across a major highway. Hello, Francis. Hey, Joseph. Thanks for having me. Oh, sure. How are you doing today? Doing really well. It's wonderful to be here. And I'd like to thank our mutual friend, Bob Plott, for introducing us. He's, 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 uh, he's do, you know, I announced last week, we're, we're actually creating the Smoky Mountain, uh, Metal Arc Smoky Mountain Heritage Center. And we're doing, uh, working together to create lots of heritage events and bring lots of awareness of what's happening in these mountains. So you have had a, a remarkably diverse career and lived uh, everywhere from Costa Rica and Canada yet now live north of Asheville, right? And with your right. husband on a six-acre property near the Appalachian Trail. Yes. How did you end up working in the Great Smokies? So, very interesting. So, I, um, as you were talking about, went through an experience where I, I helped my mother pass away in 2012. She died. And that next year, I moved to the Asheville area. And um, I met my husband and moved to a place that's just about 40 minutes north of Asheville called Flag Pond, Tennessee, which there's not very much here, and that's why we're here. There are a lot of cool animals and not very many people. Um, but when I first moved to Asheville, I had put my career in ecotourism on hold um, to help my mother pass away. And so I really was starting over. You know, it was very much like you were talking about. You kind of reinvented your life. And um, I went to Asheville. I didn't know anyone. I knew two people, and but I'm a great networker. So I stormed into town and said, I'm going to become a magazine editor. I'm going to be the editor of the Laurel of Asheville, which I did that. And I also um, did some pro bono work for another partner in the Smokies called Discover Life in America. And they do the all tax of biodiversity inventory, which is a count of all the species in the park. And so I did some pro bono editing and writing for them. And um, Years later, in 2017, the executive director, Todd Witcher of Discover Life in America, called me one day and said, 
there's a job opening up in the Smokies that has your name written all over it. And I said, well, that's wonderful, but my husband built our cabin, and there's no way that I'm going to be able to move to the Smokies. I couldn't move to Gatlinburg. And he said, well, I think you need to have a talk with the executive director. I don't think you would have to move there because, you know, when you work in publishing, it can be pretty remote these days. And um, so I did have that conversation with then the executive director and now the CEO, Laurel Remitory, who is my boss. And we decided that if I were the right person for the job, that I wouldn't have to move away. So I I went through all the processes. I didn't expect to get the job, and um, yet here I am. And so all day long I work from home in Flag Pond, Tennessee, but my mind is two hours away in Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Cool, and you 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 had plenty of experience in the area. You know, like me, I'm doing this podcast from New York City, uh, but you know, I grew up there, and you know, and I've always been there, and I have my business interests there, and you know, so uh, you know, well, of course, I have business interests in New York. So, but you you can you can you can love multiple places in your life, and I think actually having the experience of Loving two places really prepares you to talk about it in the travel sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I love um, I love where I live so much and I have trail cams around my property. And at night, especially at night, there are bobcats that come through. That's my spirit animal and I love them. But we have bear and deer and turkey and opossum and skunk and woodchuck and all these wonderful animals that are on this property. So I love it here. But I also love Costa Rica. And that would be a place that were I to have an opportunity again to live there, I might do so, but I don't think I can pull my husband away from the Appalachian Trail region. He's hiked it four times. He wow. loves to be here, and I love it here as well. So, um, yeah, but I know what you mean. You can love two places, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you can you can love several places. My wife, you know, loves New York City, and she's learning to love the, the Smoky Mountains, and she's, she loves a place in Mexico, yeah, I'm drawing a blank on it. She's going to get mad at me. She's probably listening. <laughs> San Miguel, San Miguel and the mountains, in, in, uh, in, uh, which is sort of a mountainous region in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, the Mexico. And she's originally from Trinidad and grew up on a mountain in Trinidad. You know, everybody thinks of Trinidad being this Caribbean island, but it's actually a mountainous Caribbean island. I, I tell her we're, we're just, we're just mountain people. <laughs> So what do you what do you love most about the Smoky Mountains region? Well, I tell you, it's um it's a very diverse place, and that's part of the reason why I love Costa Rica was the diversity. And you know, the Smokies has been studied by scientists all over the world as a biodiversity hotspot. And so that's why I really got interested in the job um, because it was a place that I could put my ecotourism background to work, if you will. And I manage the creative team there at Great Smoky Mountains Association. And we create all kinds of books and magazines and projects like we did. We actually do a podcast, too, that's called Smoky Mountain Air. There are so many ways to lend, you know, the creative forces um, to the Smokies because there are just so many stories to be told. We're helping to tell ancient stories of the um, peoples who were here before it was even a park, you know, the Cherokee yeah. and the African-American people that were here before. So we help the park in so many different ways to do that interpretive work. Well, that's nice. You know, I um, I, was do, I was reading about that. You know, the Cherokee, you know, claim anywhere from 3,000 to 15,000 years ago, of culture in this area, you know? And so uh, 
I find that very interesting. And of course, the uh, West African influence on music here is tremendous, especially the banjo. I mean, our first episode, we talked a lot about that. Uh, I have a friend of mine who is uh, both Scotch, Irish, and West African descent. All right. And he was the um, drummer for Simple Minds at one point. He's an artist in residence at the Metal Arc Motel. And he's exploring all those sort of aspects of, of the culture here. Well, so anyway, you mentioned that um, because we, we just created a new podcast series that's called Sepia Tones. And it's about African-American music in Appalachia um, and the influence that that's had on the Smokies region in particular and um, the co-hosts of that, Ted Olson and Bill Turner, are just amazing. So it's under the Smoky Mountain Air podcast series and really worth listening to. I'm very excited sure. that we're, create, we're creating that right now. Well, they should talk to Mike and see if there's any synergies yeah, and what he's doing. Yeah, so cool. Um, so we sure. come back. We have to take a break now. We'll, we'll talk more about um, articles and publications and books. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast with my guest Francis Feigert. Before I get into you know more about the the, the Great Smokies area specifically, you know we we talked about ecotourism. You talked about it briefly. Can you just tell us what that means, really? Yeah, a lot of times people describe it as sustainable tourism. And really, if you think about it, those two things are a bit of a misnomer, right? Because um, it's hard to travel sustainably when, when you're traveling, you're, you're using fuel and lots of our resources. But there's a movement in the travel industry to try to do it that in such a way that it's light on the land. And a lot of times ecotourism is focused around very small group travel. So, for instance, I worked with a kayak ecotour operator in both Canada and Costa Rica. We would go back and forth um, depending on the season because you don't want to be paddling in Canada when it's October. Yeah. Trust me. So that's when you'd go to Costa Rica. You know, the focus was on small groups that would not make a big impact in the areas that we were paddling. So that's that's kind of how I got involved. Before that, I was a magazine editor for the National Tour Association, which was more of a motor coach across the U.S. and Canada type of organization for tour operators. And I learned about ecotourism and natural tourism through that experience. And so that is kind of what I gravitated to because I liked the uh, conservation aspect of that work. So and then your podcast you mentioned uh, with the uh, with the GSMA. Talks about ecotourism eco experiences that people can have? We haven't gotten into that topic yet, but yeah. that's a really good idea, and I think we should. I've been focusing recently on, as I mentioned, the sepia tones, the um, Black Appalachian music uh, focus, but we've also had podcasts that have been readings by some of our Smokies Life magazine authors, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we've explored other programs in the park. But, um, you know, ecotourism has not been mentioned a lot in my job yet, but it's something that's always in the back of my mind um, because we do have a lot of congestion and a lot of visitors in the park. You know, we had 12.5 million visitors in uh, 2019, 
And then, of course, last year it fell a little bit because of COVID and we were closed part of the, the year. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year, people feel like parks are the place to be. And so each month this year, we've had some weird numbers already, and we expect to probably tip over that 12.5 million mark during 2021. Do you, if you, uh, if somebody wanted to, um, you know, in, in, in engage in an ecotourism experience in the, the Smoky Mountains, do you know of any uh, providers or resources or, or even, um, you know, publications that might give them information? Absolutely. Um, there are a lot of great ecotourism operators out there. And one in particular that I think of right off the bat is Terra, in, Terra Incognita Ecotours. And that's run by Jed Caddick. Um, and he's a friend, a longtime friend, and he does great trips to all kinds of wonderful places where ecotourism is tourism is done. Well, fabulous. I'm, 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 I'm glad about that. I, I'm wanting, you know, with the, where we are at the Mattel, we're the only, um, we're actually the only three pine lodging facility west of Asheville. Um, and three pine is rated by the state of New York, you know, North Carolina is sustainable eco in, in eco friendly. Uh, and so we've taken a lot of effort to be, uh, and so we're looking at how to develop more eco tours for our guests. So anyway, that's great. I connect you with some people. Cool, that'd be fabulous. So you've written scores of articles for well-known publications around the region, and now you're the creative service director of the GSMA. So tell us a little bit about this organization and what what that job means. Right. Well, so Great Smoky Mountains Association is one of several park partners, and we're an educational park partner. So we support the park through creating products and selling them. And Joseph, you probably know that, you know, the park in the Smokies doesn't um, charge an entrance fee like some parks do. And so there's always that challenge of how do they generate the income to take care of the backlog of maintenance and all the different things that need to be done for the park. So we create books and magazines and other products, and we also sell other books in our bookstores that are run by Great Smoky Mountains Association. And those funds come together to help support the park um, to do many different things, like we talked about earlier, telling the stories of the peoples who were here before or preserving the historic buildings in the park, Um, just things like utilities for visitors. We help to provide that. So there are so many things that that go into how we support our our park and as a partner. You know, there are other partners like Discover Life in America that I mentioned, and they have other uh, projects that they work on. But we're uh, serving in a way that, that we sell our products in the bookstore. So anytime you visit the park and you go into one of the bookstores, that's Great Smoky Mountains Association. You also, um, I know this for a fact because I am one, you, you've developed a pretty large network of, of resellers, right, that actually yep. support you in selling those. Um, our SmokiesAdventure.com site actually sells the GSMA products. Uh, and we, you know, we try to package it a little different and things like that. But uh, uh, we're, we're, we're an avid supporter of that. Well, that's great. And we welcome you. And, you know, it's interesting because we are basically a very boutique publisher of books. You know, it's something that we we don't do that publishing exclusively. We do so many other things in running our bookstores and our retail is really our bread and butter. 
Um, but we create a couple of books every year. And this year, um, the new book from GSMA is the one that I wrote called A Search for Safe Passage. Cool. Well, I, I, you know, I, I will talk about that in just a second. I think it's a great book. But I think another big thing that you guys do is that you create maps and guides, right? Not just the books. I mean, the books are great. I mean, you talk about like moonshine. You talk about women in the Appalachia. You talk about you know, all sorts of different cultural aspects that people don't necessarily think of. You know, and then you get into herbal medicine and, uh, you know, and wildlife and, and many things. You just, the, the selection is, is great, but you do wonderful guides and great maps and hike, hiking trail maps and things like that. You just released the hundred uh, trails. That is like a classic, a, ha- yeah. a classic, classic and, and, and updated and everything. And that's, that's a good seller. <laughs> yeah, the 100 oh, yeah. Trails map, which was originally a partnership between GSMA and the Carolina Mountain Club, and we've just mm-hmm. revitalized it and brought it up to date, which is very exciting. And there's a, a new challenge from CMC, Carolina Mountain Club, for people to hike all of those 100 favorite trails. So that's pretty neat. And we do have a lot of guidebooks. Um, you know, people who are not watching this can't see it, but behind me there's a poster that shows a hundred different butterflies and moths and they're all in our butterflies and moths field guide, which is just one of many field guides. Um, right now we're creating a new one. That's all about just insects. And that's being written by James Costa of the Highlands biological station, which is uh, in Cullowee. Well, that's great. I mean, I, I think these are wonderful assets. And you're also the editor of Smokey's life magazine. What is the, what is the purpose of that magazine? That magazine is the main benefit that our members of GSMA get in the mail twice a year. And thank goodness it's twice a year because I've worked on a lot of monthly magazines and you really can't do anything else. Um, One time I was at a conference and when I was with the National Tour Association, some people came up to my booth at a conference and they said, we're just curious, what do you do in between issues? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tell you, look at it. It's so beautiful, right? It's such a beautiful magazine. It really Uh, is. And that's thanks to my staff. I have an amazing design staff that Lisa Horstman is the lead designer on that magazine. She's also a famous children's author, and we sell her books. You might have some of her books. Uh, The Great Smoky Mountain Salamander Ball is one that you probably have. That magazine is just a lot of fun. But, yeah, it takes the full six months because you are doing a lot of things to make it happen. <laughs> so and you know uh, the, the you know the 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 things that are you know the the contents are like bike days in Cades Cove, park faces up to, uh, faces up to over tourism, Twin Creek Science Education, a lot of wonderful stuff there. Yeah, Bob, um, Bob Plot has an article in this one. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, he wrote a story about two of the heroes of the Smokies, um, George and Elizabeth Ellison. And so Bob and Janet McHugh wrote that together. And that was a great story. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I think it's, uh, and, and it's, and it's, so that's mostly, I, it's, uh, you, and you don't distribute it anywhere else, right? It's in our bookstores and you yeah. can buy it at smokiesinformation.org. So if you're not a member, you can go online at smokiesinformation.org and buy it. But we encourage you to be a member for just $35 yeah. a year. Okay, cool. So, um, you, uh, when you talk about the GSMA being an educational park partner, besides supporting it with money, what does that mean? So, you know, like I mentioned, the proceeds from our books and products provide services for visitors, and we fund resource management of the park. 
Um, we make it possible for the park to preserve its historic structures and to tell those older stories of the Cherokee and the African Americans who were here before. We help educate our members and park visitors about natural and cultural heritage of the Smokies um, through those projects. When we get back, you have you have a new book called this. You have a, you have two books that we wanted to talk about briefly: Seasons of Letting Go, which I mentioned, and then. I think a very important one now, uh, Search for Safe Passage, which while as a children's book has got a pretty important message to talk about. And uh, so let's uh, dig into the meat of that when we get back. Sounds good. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I'm back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Francis Weigart. Um, Francis, you know, we, um, we've been talking about, you know, your job, but let's talk about your creativity, all right, uh, which is even your job demonstrates your creativity. You're the author of two books, and the first one I, I got to read a little bit of, and, and, and because it was formatted as a series of poignant collection of uh, essays, um, I was able to actually get, I think, a little bit of an understanding. And it's called Seasons of Letting Go, which was about helping your mother die a dignified death and how you learned from that. Uh, Your mother was a Ruthie, I think, and she was a baseball fan, and she sounds like a, uh, a tremendous woman. And so can you tell us a little bit how that book came about? Sure thing. So her name is Ruth and the E is silent. Okay. (laughs) When she was born, she was named just the normal R-U-T-H, but she liked to be different. So she wanted to put a silent E on it. (laughs) Okay, great. My middle name is Ruth too. So I have the silent E as well. Well, Can I call you Ruthie? (laughs) (laughs) But The book, um, you know, I I tell people I kind of tricked myself into writing a book because what happened was um, in 2010, I put my career on hold and I went home and I realized I was going to need to be with my mom for as long as it was going to take. And it was about two years, just like your experience. I didn't know really how to cope with, you know, how this is. You're you're loving this person, but you also have this big job. Um, you know, it's like you're you're doing the caregiving thing. And so it's 24-7. You don't get a break. There's really no escape from the stress of it. So I think to process that stress, I started a blog and I started writing essays just about coping with the fact that I'm going to lose my mother and I'm the sole caregiver and this is really hard. And it wasn't until several years after she was gone that I realized that some of my best writing had been done both during the time she was dying and also my processing the first year of grief, um, especially that first year. And so in 2015, I realized that I had a group of essays that I really just wanted to put together as a book. And And really for me, my audience was the people who knew my mother that probably would not go look at my blog site and look up all these essays on there because they were older people. They were in her age group. So I wanted to present them with something, and I'm holding the book up right now. It's got a scene that's much like your background, um, Joseph. And, you know, I wanted to... 
Yeah, wanted it to be something that people could hold in their hand and have a good feeling about her life. So it's a tribute to her, but it's also a tribute to what you were talking about earlier, which is that we have to reinvent ourselves and we have to disassociate our identity as being with that person. It, you know, even though I really felt strongly that my identity was wrapped up with being Ruth Feigert's daughter, I had to go on and say, I can be more than that. I can be different from that and still honor her. Uh, that is a that is a that is I think that's important for a lot of people to you know, to to understand that you know I think that I, I you know I had some friends that actually it was kind of odd but at the same time they had lost their lives one of them a year before and then never you know when I saw them they had they hadn't progressed in their lives and, they, and some of them still haven't and they haven't lost that that. Um, they haven't realized that they got to bury their identity. It, they're grieving their identity as much as they're grieving the person. Yeah. And I think as you continue to read that book, you're going to see that there's a place where I went through that that same thing where, you know, you just you finally let go. And the experience of caregiving, I think, is one that you that's where I really learned that I wasn't in control. Um, because, you know, I am kind of a control freak, and that helps me to be successful in things like building production schedules for magazines or setting a time limit, you know, to do a book and that type of thing. But ultimately, we have no control. And when you're a caregiver and someone's dying, that's when you really learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. And then when you start to let go, for me, it's as if you're you're really able to realize your destiny because you don't push so hard for what you want you don't get that friction anymore. You just align with destiny and then the two of you can just soar out into space. And that's really what's happened for me since I lost my mom. Mm. And I wish that I could show her that, that I finally got it, but it's okay. I think she knows. <laughs> I, you know, the same way. I feel like I have guardian angels that I didn't have before. and Things have gone in you know, surprising ways for me in my life since then. So it's, um, it is a cathartic experience, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's cathartic. And, you know, you probably have had this same feeling, too. But I've been a little sad that my husband didn't get to meet my parents. But then in some ways, it's almost as if his energy continues their own. And it's almost like it doesn't matter because it feels like he was a part of them and they were a part of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a, I have a, a wife and two uh, two twin children now. <laughs> you know, I have an older son, but uh um, but, you know, it definitely feels like this this long journey that just has changed. But, you know, there's a, sim a similar, there's a sort of energy that goes through. It. But mm -hmm. um, so now you got a second book. It come, it's got a completely different direction. Right? Yeah. It just came out last month. Uh, yep. And it's a children's book with a special cause pertaining to the Smokies, a search for safe passion. And can you tell me two things? What is it about? Why it came about? And why did you make it a children's book? Okay, that's, you know, it's going to take me a second. So All right. <laughs> when I first moved from Asheville up to the area where I live in now, the closest highway here is I-26. And I was disturbed to see a lot of our iconic black bears getting killed on this highway. And so when I got my job in the Smokies, I was able to connect with some people who were having a discussion about a similar problem just outside the park boundary and it's an area called the Pigeon River Gorge. It's a 28-mile stretch of road that's really twisty. If you've ever driven between Asheville and Knoxville, yeah. you've been on this really curvy section of road, and eight miles is in Tennessee, and 20 miles is in western North Carolina. 
and way too many bear and deer and elk and other smaller animals are killed there every year. Now, there's a lot of statistics rolling around, but the data hasn't all been crunched yet. Some people say as many as 70 bears have been killed there in one year. We don't really know those things yet. The, the research is still being completed. But what we know is that there are way too many. And so I became a part of this group. And at that time, it wasn't called anything. It was just several um, organizations working together uh, to try to find a solution. And now there are as many as 20 organizations, some of them governmental, some of them non-governmental, some of them tribal, all kinds of agencies working together to try to solve the problem. And six of those have created a Safe Passage Fund Coalition. And we've branded the project as the Safe Passage I-40 Pigeon River Gorge Wildlife Crossing Project. Now, we're working towards getting some wildlife crossings to um, be in that region, but that's something that takes years sometimes to accomplish. And so why a children's book? To me, I'm thinking of 11 and 12-year-olds who are reading this book now are going to inherit the problems that we have with our roads needing to consider wildlife and how they need to cross. And so in 12 more years, those kids reading it will be the new road ecologists, they will be the highway engineers that will help to solve these problems um, because we're networking with people who have been working on these problems for a decade and they still haven't broken ground because it takes that long to get it all together. So that's why the kids book concept really works. I, you know, I, I, I read it a little bit of it. I love the way you've sort of made it into a, an adventure story for the kids, right? Um, it's sort of an adventure. The animals are, uh, you know, they, 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 they all have their own personalities and they meet together. You know, you have different groups that come together and have to know who they are. And there's also a sort of a, almost a, um, a mythological element to it. You know, it's got a little bit of magic in it. Yeah, I, um, I was really inspired by the Cherokee writings of the myths where they would talk about animals as just bear or deer or firefly, um, they would just have the animal's name. And so the animals in this book just have that, that very simple mythological name. Um, but there's a band of animals that join together in this cause to try to find safe passage and they meet some new friends and they have some adventures and some of it's kind of scary, um, but it's not in your face graphic. You know, there are some animals in it that have been killed on the human highway, but we don't see that happen. It's more of a memory that an animal has of their parent who has been killed there or their brother or sister or friend who's been killed on the human highway. And they have a law called Turtle's Law that prevents them from crossing anymore. And that illustrates a concept in road ecology that's called the barrier effect. And so when animals decide not to try to cross anymore, that's actually even worse than when you're seeing individual animals get hit because the species is then in under threat and it's not getting what it needs to thrive. Species, um, you know, diversity can't happen. Animals interbreed and eventually they could become extinct or be extirpated. Yeah, it, you know, I also think that um, about half the book is about the story, but then I think the other half is you have um, 
Yeah, a lot of information, like almost like a little bit of encyclopedia, but you know, approachable encyclopedia information about the types of crossings. I mean, there's an incredible amount. There's there's culverts, there's you know, there's square openings, there's bridges, there's you know, there's grass things over the top. I, I, I thought that was really sort of you know, actually fascinating that you put all that additional information in there. Right? Yeah. It's, it's a thorough education and fun book for children. So I'm going to get it for my children at the appropriate age. Well, um, I appreciate that. And, yeah. you know, I worked with a lot of scientists who know um, how to build these structures. And, and it's just kind of distilling the information that they have down to the most basic level so that someone like a fifth grader can understand it. But that's also the level that a lot of us need. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't know how to build these box culverts and bridge extensions and things either. So I think it's very accessible for adults that are just becoming acquainted with the road ecology concepts too. Yeah. Well, I think it's an easy read for an adult to just sort of get the story, but then there's the information that actually makes it, you know, you get adult information in a, uh, in a, in a digestible form uh, for the second half of that book. I, I was, I was pleasantly, you know, excited. So it's very beautifully illustrated. Who did your illustrations? So the illustrator is named Emma Dufour, and she's on my staff at Great Smoky Mountains Association. She's a publication specialist who came to the Smokies a lot as a child and then was determined to move to the Smokies and work there. Um, Her story is a brilliant one, but this was her first book to design and illustrate, and she's done a remarkable job and did it really rapidly. We did all of this during COVID. You know, the book... I wrote the book from March to May last year, and then Emma worked on the illustration, and we basically got it published within about a nine-month window. Okay, fabulous. Well, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, uh, aspects of your job and, you know, and then, uh, you know, other things that people can uh, find out about you. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, Francis Feitgard. So, Francis, you mentioned COVID, uh, giving you the time to actually write this new book. But how um, has COVID impacted your world and, and, and the park itself? Very good question. You know, the park went through some really scary times when COVID first started, and um, we found that not only did the park need to close, but we at GSMA needed to close our visitor centers to be able to keep our staff safe. And then we actually even had to close our warehouse where the online orders are filled, and we do a large online business, but it wasn't safe. And so we, we lost some ground. It was a little scary. Um, But we went into the year in a really good place financially. And so one of the things that happened that was very interesting was we had this challenge in figuring out how can people stay connected to the park virtually since they can't come there. That's really what our members and the people that follow GSMA wanted was to be able to feel connected. And so my staff had all these wonderful creative ideas because they're such innovators. You know, they're like, we can do all these different things. And so I decided to channel all of their ideas through a blog called Smokies Live. And Smokies Live can be found at smokiesinformation.org. As soon as you go to our website, it pops up. And it's basically a blog that we started during COVID. 
and we've been able to maintain it and we post almost daily if if not four or five times a week we have stories coming up on Smokey's Live that make it like a sister publication to the magazine Smokey's Life and we have many people that write for it much of it is contributed um, if there are people out there listening who love to write about the Smokies, they could even contact me and write for Smokies Live. Um, it's a communal effort. So that's been a really great way that we've survived the pandemic because we really help people co to connect with the park, seeing videos and learning about the natural and cultural history through Smokies Live um, has really been an amazing part of it. And then also we've developed a lot of tools that have helped us with staying in close touch as you have to do remotely. So Zoom meetings are one tool. We use a program called Slack that is um, a way to have conversations about all the different projects in, in a very much real time. So my team of six, we've really stayed very, very close and even become more efficient and effective during the pandemic. You mentioned the tools of my life right now, but <laughs> uh, so uh, you know. As an aside, I have you know I have a bunch of travel writers because that's my business. So uh, I will get some of them to send you some uh, stuff. And if you need uh, promotion of your blog, we can. Put, I have some pretty good blogs and got good. Uh, you know, you probably know this word by now, SEO position, and we can give you a little authority to some of your articles if you want to reach out to particularly promote one or two of them. It sounds right. like this is a fortuitous partnership. You yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, other than the uh, writing part, which I'm assuming you love, what are the other favorite aspects of your job helping preserve and protect the Smokies? Well, you know, I just think about the things I get to do every day are things that I would do whether I had this job or not. Like I spent today listening to the audio version of A Search for Safe Passage, which is being read by a wonderful author and um, audio expert named Rose Halk. And she's out in Scottsdale and she recorded my book. And so my job today was really largely um, surrounding listening to my book read by her and just making a few little tweaks of where I wanted her to read like the firefly voice a little differently or, you know, whatever it was, you know, I wanted elk says I am elk and I wanted that to be really low. And, you know, <laughs> little things like that where I would like adjust the way she said something. And, uh, but it's a beautiful reading of my book. She is not native American, but her voice sounds native and I love that aspect of it. So I'm so excited. So I get to do things in my job that just feel like um, creative projects. They don't feel like work to me. Um, and I love writing and editing. And I've often felt like I would, um, if, I, if someone said you could only write or you could only edit, I would pick editing because I'm, I love it and I'm really good at it. But I've become more of a writer throughout the last few years, and I don't think I could stand to have that go away. So I think I have to keep both writing and editing as part of what I do. That's fabulous. You know, they, the, I, I was persuaded to get into podcasting by some of my marketing people said I had the perfect voice for Gateway to Smokies, and now I've got another podcast, and I love the creative aspect of it. Well, so I just wish everyone can see your shirt because it's so bright and so cool. So this is great that you have some people that are able to view this. So you got any books in the plans? Well, actually it's funny that you should ask that because one of the things I really want to get working on here soon um, after I edit about seven more Smokey's Life stories for fall is that I have a sequel plan to a search for safe passage. And the working title is Zoe's gift to the gorge. 
And it's going to be um, in the end of a search for safe passage, the elk tells the animals, what we have to do now is communicate to the humans what it is that we need in terms of wildlife crossings. And so the next book is going to have the central figure, Zoe, who is a girl that has some very special gifts. And she's going to get to spend some time up in the gorge with the animals on her own and learn from them what they need. And then she'll be able to communicate that out to the others. Oh, fabulous. So you can find your new book, uh, safe, uh, Search for Safe Passage, at smokiesinformation.org. We will probably also soon have it on smokiesadventure.com. You can also become a member of the Great Smoky Mountains Association at smokiesinformation.org. And it's a great way to support and protect the park. Uh, park. Uh, her first book, Frances' first book, is Seasons of Letting Go, is available on Amazon. And SmokySafePassage.org is where you can go to learn all about Safe Passage, the I-40 Pigeon River Gorge Wildlife Crossing Project. You got uh, it. And then you can go to FrancisFigArt.com to find out more about Francis. And you have some social media too, right? I'm on Facebook mostly. I'm on LinkedIn a little bit. But find me on Facebook. I'd love to have some new friends. And we'll put all this information up on the gateway to the Smokies uh, uh, dot fun. Uh, so uh, you'll be able to find it there. And that is the gateway to the Smokies. And Francis, I want to thank you for being a part of the show. I'm going to do a little uh, close out now of my stuff, but uh, I appreciate very much talking to you. It's been uh, awesome. Thank you. So uh, you can you can go to gateways to the smokies .fun to find all sorts of information about this podcast. We we post uh, things that our guests have mentioned and uh, and and want to promote. And you can also subscribe to a newsletter that will let you know about upcoming in, uh, events and uh, podcasts. Now I want you to imagine a place evocative motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and full relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout scream, grill the catch on a fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine or craft beers. Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There is no other place like the Meadowlark Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina, and part of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Your Smoky Mountain Adventure starts with where you stay. I want to mention we are part of the talkradio.nyc network. It is a great network of podcasts focused on, on the New York area, but it also is syndicated out to a lot of other places around. I think right after this podcast, live on Tuesday nights, is a, a podcast exploring New York. And I think it's a really nice episode. So you can go from a, a rural environment to an urban environment. So uh, please uh, stick around, listen to everything on this network. Um, next week, we're going to have Mick Butch McCade, who is a retired ranger from the Park Service. And he has a lot of experience in the Smoky Mountains. I think it'll be a great show. And you can come by and, uh, and visit us same time from... Um, from uh, 6 to 7 on Tuesday night next week. Um, and we also have a Facebook page, uh, also facebook.com slash gateway to the Smokies podcast, where we stream the video live. So you can see the video live on Tuesdays as well. So you can see my shirt and, and my background and my beautiful guests. 
Uh, so thank you again, and I'll see you next time.